Hello, welcome to At The Source. Today's guest is Lucy Vincent, founder of Food Behind Bars, the UK's only registered charity dedicated to transforming the food served in British prisons. She launched the charity back in 2016 and since then has worked with various prisons across England and Wales on projects which aim to positively impact the health and well-being of prisoners by delivering practical food-based education, promoting healthy eating and designing exciting food and drink initiatives. Their projects abroad, from education to cooking, training and even growing food. I know that today's topic is likely to be one that sparks debate, something I welcome with this podcast. But whatever your opinion on the UK's prison system, crime and punishment, etc. One thing I think we can all agree on is that healthy, nutritious food should be available to everyone. I'm recording today with a 12-week-old baby napping in the next room, so hopefully he will keep quiet and not interrupt us too much. Podcasting as a new mum is certainly not without its challenges, and I'm sure you're all aware that we are in May, and, and this is only the third episode. But anyway... I'm really pleased to welcome today's guest, Lucy, founder of the charity Food Behind Bars. Thank you so much, Lucy, for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. And having to already rearrange this once because of a grizzly baby, so... (laughs) That is no problem whatsoever. I'm just going to jump straight in um, and I want to just start at the very beginning. So how did you come up with the idea for Food Behind Bars? Yeah, I mean, it was it was totally by chance, to be honest. Um, people are always very um, confused by my, my background and my career because um, I'd never kind of been involved in the prison service before, um, you know, to the point where I'd never met anyone who had been to prison. I'd never been into a prison myself. Um, I My background's in journalism. And also in the food industry, and and at the time in 2016, I was kind of working across both. I was I was writing freelance as a journalist, and and often writing about food, um, kind of for various publications. And I was working in restaurants, um, which I'd done for a long time since my teen teenage years, um, and I was juggling the two. So that was, I, I guess, my life back then. Um, yeah, how was many uh, six years ago now? Coming up to. Um, and I came across a report that had just come out um, called Life in Prison Food. And it was by Her Majesty's Inspector of Prisons, who are the kind of national prison inspection body. Um, and I, I think I picked it up in the press because, you know, obviously as a journalist, I was often kind of researching and, and keeping an ear to the ground of, of things that perhaps might make us an interesting story, really. And this definitely got my interest in that sense. You know, Mm. I always say when I came across the report, it was, you know, it was the journalist in me, you know, first and foremost, that that found it interesting and and wanted to know more. Um, And the report itself, it was kind of the first of its of its kind in the sense that it was um, inspecting a subject as opposed to a particular prison. Most of the time, um, the prison inspector is going to a prison and, and kind of releasing a full report on that particular prison. And this was very different. So they they visited various prisons all around the country and were specifically looking at the topic of food, um, what food meant for the people in that prison, what it's like to eat behind bars, what was being produced um, in the kitchens, how it was being served, um, you know, the, the, the whole lot really. And it made some quite damning conclusions, I suppose, mm. um, specifically that that for the most part, the food being served was kind of of poor nutritional quality. Um, There were lots of issues around how the food was served, whether that was something arriving cold, whether it was the fact that most prisons in the UK do not have communal dining, 
Um, so people are eating it, you know, in their cell on their own next to their toilet for the most part. Um, so really it was, it was a, a kind of a true eye opener for me. Um, and I just was super interested and, and it wasn't a particularly long report. I think it was only about 18 pages. And I guess I just thought, well, there must be more to this subject. And my first kind of feeling was, you know, I wanted to speak to people who had experienced food in prison and had served sentences. Um, so I, I kind of, I went away and, and started doing my own research really. And, and that led to a couple of articles that I wrote on the subject, um, which involved me speaking to yeah people who've been in prison. And, and yet yeah, the, the minute you start speaking to people who have been kind of touched by the criminal justice system, it, it really does blow you know, that subject in particular wide open. I, I found that the the issue itself was a lot more complex and deep rooted than than the report kind of let on. Um so yeah, I wrote a couple of articles about it, one for um Refinery 29 and I wrote something for The Guardian. And yeah, both had a really good response actually. And in 2016, I mean there's lots in the prisons about prisons in the news these days as well, but that particular year, it felt very timely. Um, there were a couple of very high profile um, riots in prisons in the UK. Uh, Self-harm had hit kind of record levels. Uh, violent assaults in prisons had, had hit record levels. And yeah, I think there was kind of little old me talking about the subject of food. But I think what made people stand up and pay attention was that it was something that people had never considered before that might have an impact on things like mental health and violence in prison. And that was really what got it going. You know, it was completely unintentional, but we uh, went on the BBC within the first few weeks and kind of debated the topic with MPs. And I started getting invited into prisons for the first time. Um, it all snowballs really from that initial, that initial report. Um, and yeah, for many years, I was campaigning for an improvement in prison food. I was writing about it and kind of speaking uh, nationally about the subject, as well as spending a lot of time in prisons um, and with people in prison. And yeah, that kind of happened very organically, but it led to us becoming a registered charity um, almost two years ago now. Um, and since then, we have been yeah operating and, and delivering work all around the UK. Fantastic. I really like the idea that this came out of something that you hadn't, you know, you hadn't grown up with, I don't know, a, a family member or someone in prison that you'd seen it from that side. It was purely this report. But uh, interestingly, what was the point of the report? You know, was it was it put out because the, the prison systems themselves wanted to make improvements or, or was it more of just a, a kind of a snapshot of what situation was? It was part of this series called Life in Prison. And what it was looking at were those kind of the daily aspects of prison life, really, food being one of them. But I suppose other examples are, you know, meaningful time out of their cell, um, you know, things that, that impact our daily routine, you know, whether it's access to showers or access to fresh air. And these particular reports, um, it was part of a series, were kind of looking in depth at those subjects. You know, it wasn't often with the, the kind of standard prison reports, prisons, it can focus very much on you know, the security and, and drugs and violence, all of those things. And mm. this one in particular was more looking at daily life. And I think that what's interesting now after, you know, five or so years of, of working in prisons is that actually those are the things which truly are some of the most important, um, actually the most important, you know, that kind of 
basic decency, they're the things that I see have the biggest impact on people's sentences. And if you get them wrong, you know, the ramifications of that can be huge. Um, you know, and I, I've seen it, you know, I see people on the wing who they can't get access to their shower or, you know, they, they've they missed their spot to kind of go outside and get fresh air and exercise. And, you know, you can only imagine really what in an intense kind of pressure cooker environment an impact can, you know, stuff like that can really impact things. And food actually, um, if you speak to anyone in prison, it's one of the most talked about subjects. It's one of the most important subjects. Um, you know, it can be a marker in a very long, boring and monotonous day. And if you get it wrong and if it does turn up cold and unappetizing and unhealthy, um, it has a real effect on that person and, and the whole environment, really. It has the ability to kind of twist that mood in either direction, I guess. Absolutely. So before we talk a bit more deeply about the work that you do with the charity, I think it would be quite interesting for the listeners to to get an idea of what type of food is being served to prisoners in the UK. You know, how much is being spent on it? What are people eating? Totally. Yeah. I mean, first kind of disclaimer, it varies hugely. And the kind of sole reason behind that is because prisons have autonomy, really, to, within reason, serve the food that they want to within the budget they want to. So I think it was about 10 years or so we moved away from a a kind of national prison food budget. And now a governor of a prison has the autonomy to set their own food budgets. Um, And actually, even though that sounds like a lot of freedom, in reality, when you look at kind of the average spend per prison, it doesn't really vary that much. So I think at the moment, the average spend per head per day um, in prisons is £2.11. Um, and that's for three meals per day. Wow. But when the governor has autonomy, um, it can go one of two ways, really. I mean, I've seen great examples if we're talking about budget specifically, where um, actually the the governor recognises the importance of food in prison. Perhaps they have a great catering team in place who, um, you know, have the right skills and kind of um, passion to, to, to create a great menu and, and they might supplement their budget. So that might kind of inch up to £2.20, for example. Um, that can work the other way. And again, I've seen that, you know, budgets in the public sector are incredibly tight and, and prisons as well. You know, so I've, I've seen it as well dip down, you know, say to £2.2p per head. So budget is is the main kind of dictator of, I guess, the quality of food. Um, but I suppose to, to add to that, that the catering manager, who is the, the top person, I suppose, in charge of the prison kitchen, the catering manager and the catering teams really are, are, are key, you know. And if you have someone in charge, like any kind of workplace, I suppose, who has a real vision and really cares and, um, you know, wants to provide a certain level of food, um, that in itself can have a real impact. Um, what we find most of the time, unfortunately, is that, and the catering managers are not at fault here. They are just sucked into um, very much, you know, an under-resourced and understaffed, understaffed system, really. And, you know, even just the logistics of running a prison kitchen and getting thousands of meals out per day, managing a team of staff who are all prisoners themselves, by the way, and and even just logistically getting the meals out, you know, prisons can be vast. Um, 
you know, the, the daily regime dictates how things run, when people are unlocked, how long they're unlocked for, when they can access their meals. So often we find with catering managers, even with the best intentions, when they have all of that to deal with and all of those daily pressure, pressures, we do often find that, I guess, flavor and nutrition and originality and variation, you know, might just drop bottom, basically. And, and that's kind of what we try to bring in. Um, but I guess in terms of a typical prison meal, I mean, starting with breakfast, breakfast actually is something that is kind of the same across the board. And uh, prisoners get issued with a breakfast pack, which is given to them the night before. So you, you kind of get it with your evening meal. I say evening, but <laughs> the times of meal times in prisons are, also do not reflect the outside world. So lunch is typically served around half past 11. And dinner, I guess, anywhere between half four and 5 p.m. So it's quite early. Early, yeah. And you're getting your breakfast pack with your dinner. And your breakfast pack typically contains kind of a small sachet of cereal, um, a carton of milk, um, a couple of slices of white bread, tea and coffee, and maybe kind of some jam or some kind of spread. Um, Breakfast is a really hot topic in, in the prison food world, really, because it's kind of universally acknowledged that it, it doesn't work. You know, people get it at night, they get hungry, they eat it during the night. And so we tend to find that most people are starting the working day because a lot of prisoners do, you know, come out of their cell and, and go to work or education um, on an empty stomach. Um, just because, you know, the evening meal is so early, um, they'll often kind of snack on that kind of during during the night definitely I was going to say that actually you know if you're you're having your dinner before well really before a typical nine to five worker would have finished work in the outside world yeah and then you're given your your breakfast I don't think I would make it through to half 11 without being again this comes back to what you were saying in in your intro being very grouchy being hangry <laughs> um low mood all those things that are uh, just like in education, you know, the studies that have been done around children that um, aren't having the nutrition that they need, it affects their their ability to learn. So I guess it's very similar. Completely. And I think routine sometimes goes to pot a bit in prison because you can't blame them. They're in a, you know, you're in a time bubble, really. You're in a cell where the, the mornings and the evenings merge into the next days. And, and so you're not having those markers of breakfast, lunch and dinner in, in the same way that you would in the outside world. So what we do tend to find is that people's kind of first proper meal of the day is is that half 11 lunch. Mm -hmm. um, most prisons tend to serve one hot meal and one cold meal. Depends on the prison, but typically I would say the hot meal is usually at lunchtime. And really it can vary. You know, menus go out the week before and prisoners have up to five options. Um, there has to be a vegan option on the menu. There has to be um, halal options available. Um, and kind of religious dietary requirements. Um, so it really depends what you pick, I suppose. Yeah, I would say kind of a typical meal. You can imagine like it with lots of curries, um, you know, fish and chips on a Friday, like schools. You do find that in prisons. Yeah, pies, casseroles. Um, yeah, mass, mass catering stuff, I would say. <laughs> it's the best way to look at mm. it. And then, yeah, the evening meal or I guess the cold meal of the day is more of a kind of packed lunch type scenario. So it might be a filled baguette, um, you know, with a packet of crisps or some kind of pudding um, or a piece of fruit. Yeah. And that tends to be the evening meal. Sounds like it's quite a lot of kind of simple carbs, I guess. 
Yeah, I would say simple carbs. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, obviously five options a day is great. And sometimes when I say that to people, they're like, oh, okay, well, they've got loads of choice. And I'm like, well, yes, but often you don't find much variety between those five options, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it might be sausage, egg and chips, but for a vegetarian, it might be a vegetarian sausage, egg and chips. Or, And I guess another thing to note is that menus are on a four-week rotation. So you'll have kind of week one to week four, um, and then after week four, it will go back to week one. And, and sometimes those menus can be in place for six months. Um, so you're kind of having the same stuff. And, and also it's, it's worth noting that when you look at a week one menu and a week two menu, for the most part, it's not 50 different dishes on each week. There are kind of mm. things repeated and, and stuff like that. So often we find that variety is kind of more of a problem and, I think sometimes prison food is such a hot topic that I, you know, I meet a lot of people who they'll find something they like and they, they deem edible, I suppose, whether it's a chicken casserole or whatever, and they will kind of pick it again and again and again. Um, you know, familiarity is a huge thing in prison and actually it becomes quite difficult. And we found this with, with some of the new dishes that we've kind of, um, incorporated is that people um yeah there's a fear of change there's often a suspicion around new things and ingredients and um there's quite a lot of that in prison that you find so often people do tend to pick the same things and people end up with very um very repetitive diets really which both mentally and physically is is difficult in the long run so some people would argue that why why bother improving food available to prisoners. They're in prison because on the whole, they've done something wrong. So I guess what would be your counter argument to that? Why why bother? Yeah, totally. I mean, when I first started and I think back then as well, before we were a charity and it was just me kind of banging the drum, I think I was a bit more of a target. Whereas these days we don't tend to get as many, um, I don't want to say trolls, <laughs> controversial comments as we did before. Yes, but- yeah. I did used to get them I, a lot and and it's difficult because it's taxpayer money. So I, I completely understand from that aspect, you know, why do we want, you know, taxpayer money going on these people who have disrupted society and, and, and impacted communities? And, and I understand that. And actually, we've never really campaigned for an improvement in budget. Um, I, I personally believe that higher budgets are required it's two pound 11 is very very small but i also kind of see on a daily basis that so much more could be done within that budget um you know so many more things that we can do but i suppose yeah in response to your question for me it's not about rewarding prisoners and i think that's often the misconception when you talk about good food people think that you're rewarding someone or you're treating someone with a nice meal um and it's not about that whatsoever it's 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 a basic human right um, in my opinion, um, good quality food, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, the second thing that, that I try and get people to understand is that um, these people end up in prison and we all understand why people go to prison because they've done wrong, I suppose. But yeah, the, the journey doesn't stop there, I think. And in society, I suppose our, our approach to prison is we lock them up and then people forget about them. And actually what people don't understand is, you know, there's 85,000 prisoners in this country every day who are, who are going to be released. You know, everyone is going to be released at some point. Um, how do we want them, you know, what condition do we want them to be in when they come out? And I suppose when I first started visiting prisons, and I guess it was because I'd never kind of experienced that world 
before and I had the benefit of I could see things really clearly I, I could see the fact that um there was this intense environment and a lot of the time obviously living conditions weren't great we have a huge problem in this country about giving people kind of time out of their cell I mean particularly during covid most prisoners are spending up to 23 hours in their cell and, and that's not even over yet by the way it's still kind of happening um so I was meeting people who who are thrown into the prison system and they're there for a year or two years or, or longer and they're just there you know and they're in their cell and a lot of them aren't accessing work and education and uh, they get this meal that comes you know down to their door or to the wing every day that's poor quality and for me, it was so clear. It was like, you know, you, you can't lock someone up and, you know, just keep them there in that environment, which is often a damaging environment. Um, these people usually already have very complex needs. Um, you can't do that and then expect them to come out and live in society in a civilized way. Um, you know, it just, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, and I, I, I see that every day and, and I saw it very clearly at the beginning. And I guess, for me, the difficult part sometimes is getting people to understand the, the part that food plays in that, because I think people, I think still in this country, we struggle to see the link between diet and everything else in our life, you know, whether it's mental health, um, you know, our ability to learn, our relationships, our moods, um, you know, what we eat really does affect all of those things. And so, you know, if you're pumping bad stuff into the body for however long, and um, I personally believe that you can't expect someone to come out and, and live a healthy kind of good lifestyle um, and be ready to kind of, yeah, live in society in a normal way. So, yeah, I try and get, I encourage people to think about prison in, in that way. And it's hard because prisons are closed off environment. And actually, a lot of what we do is about raising awareness. You know, it's about kind of getting people to understand and, and see what really happens in there. Um, and sometimes really amazing stuff happens in prison. And we try and kind of highlight that as well but just getting people to understand um, and, and kind of place themselves in someone else's shoes um you know it's not about treating people or, or rewarding people we understand that they've done harm um but it's you know it's the next part of the journey really that matters i mean that's the thing isn't it if if improved nutrition and wholesome food can make a tangible well i can't speak can make a tangible difference to behavior and Re rehabilitation essentially then that is going to benefit society as a whole because as you said these people for whatever they've done for the majority of prisoners are going to eventually come back into society and I guess it goes back to that very old-fashioned idea I would say of like lock them up and throw away the key because actually that's that's not what's happening so Absolutely. I can imagine that it is quite hard to educate the the general public on that because there will still be people that hold that yeah, view totally and, and I think prison in its own way is a reflection of society you know society's not functioning well it probably means that prisons aren't functioning well either you know there's no coincidence that in recent years you know violent crime rates have gone you know crazy and you know rates of violence in prison and and you know conditions in prisons have also kind of been under the spotlight for me everything is is linked you know and um you know certainly if prison was more of a rehabilitative environment we would see the impact of that in society and and food does play a part in that you know it, it is part of that and and that's what we try and kind of get people to understand um yeah i do wonder with the fact that 
there's no denying that society is a little bit broken right now in the UK, that these things will continue to to decline. You know, um, cases of violence, racist attacks, whatever else people are needing to do just to get by because they you know, can't afford to keep the heating on or feed their kids and all of the rest of it all bundled up into this big mess that we are currently experiencing almost makes the work you're doing even more valuable than it has ever been before. Yeah, totally. I think you're right. And I think, you know, food insecurity is kind of at an all time low, you know, because of, you know, cost of living and, and all of these factors. Yeah, I'm I'm an eternal optimist, and I've, I, even actually in the last couple of years since COVID, I have really felt like just kind of observing things with the charity. I do feel like there's been some increased empathy actually towards what it must be like to be in prison. Um, you know, not to say that us all being locked down was similar to to serving a prison sentence, absolutely mm. not. But I do think people are understanding um, a little bit more about what it must be like and, and therefore thinking about how things could be done differently. Um, I think as well, we, we all have a preconception of a prisoner. And I mean, you know, my job is fascinating because I meet people every day in prison who continue to kind of define my expectations. You know, there are some very normal people in prison who are there for whatever reason. Um, and it just kind of drills home to you, my belief anyway, that that can happen to anyone. Um, but I think for most of us on the outside world, you know, particularly if we're consuming, you know, traditional media or, or, or whatever, we have a conception of a prisoner in, in our minds of, you know, this person. And that's not always the case. I mean, there are people like that in prison, but there's a huge variety of people in prison for whatever reason. Um, and I think it's just always important to remember that. Mm, definitely. Just going back to the the food, to you, in your mind, what does the perfect prison food setup look like? And I know from, from what you were saying and from having read uh, the content on your website that different prisons do things in different ways and the, they, the governors set their own budgets. But how far off are we from achieving this this perfect prison setup as you would define it? There's kind of two, there's always two ways to look at it. I think the, the first thing which is is hard is that actually there are some things, I guess the, the, the prison food system in this country holds the quality back. So to kind of expand on that, we, the whole prison system is in uh, one contract with one supplier, which means that every single prison in this country uh, are accessing the same ingredients at the same price from the same place. Um, which sounds very neat and tidy, but in, in reality, it means that catering managers don't have any flexibility to kind of work with, uh, say, local producers, mm. um, ethical suppliers, um, you know, kind of going out there and sourcing their own um, ingredients based on their population, because every prison is different. You know, I go to, to rural prisons in the northeast of England and, and the, the kind of the food choices and the needs of the population, the demographic are completely different to, you know, HMP Brixton, for example, in, in, in the middle of London. So, that holds things back massively. Um, also, you know, when you have one centralized supplier, um, it's a big contract, you know, it's big business for that supplier. And they are sourcing ingredients um, to fit into, you know, prison food budgets, basically, at the end of the day. So, 
the, the kind of effect that that has on the ingredients is that you end up with um, you don't have you know you don't have particularly seasonal ingredients. They're not the best quality. They're not ethically sourced. Um, they're kind of you know industrial you know industrial farms you know mass produced um, uh, yeah ingredients. So th- for me, that's kind of a big problem. And and it wasn't always the same in the prison system. You know, I speak to people who were kind of working in it, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and we didn't have a centralized approach and, and catering managers could work more freely with, with who they wanted. And there were downsides to that, you know, obviously not if you have someone in charge who perhaps doesn't value food as highly, it can go the other way. Um, but for the most part, it gave them much greater freedom um, to produce better quality food, basically. So, for me, one of the big things that needs to change is, is really to do with procurement and how we approach, um, yeah, prison food and, and the actual kind of raw ingredient. And I, I kind of hope that, you know, I, I believe that everything is changing in society, you know, particularly if we think about environmental issues. And I just don't think we're going to be able to work in this way for much longer. You know, this kind of big industrially, you know, industrialized way, centralized, you know, cheapest food possible. I just don't think that that has much longevity. And um, so yeah. I do hope yeah. that that change, you know, we, everything that we do, we, we, you know, we work with prisons independently, but really we, we, we talk about this subject and we raise awareness, hoping one day, you know, that policy might change and, and things like that might move because it would have a huge impact. I guess the other things, again, which are kind of out of our control, but if we're talking about a perfect situation, I would change that. The logistics, I, I touched on that slightly, but I mean, to expand further, prison kitchens are often huge operations, as you can ma- imagine, dependent on, on the size of the prison. They're often kind of right in the corner of, of the prison plot. Um, and the food is produced and um, it goes on to kind of hot trolleys and um, one per wing. So you might have eight wings in a prison with 100, 150 per wing, for example, um, and the food all gets loaded on, and then the wing, uh, the, the trolleys kind of make their way down to the wings. Um, and once they get to the wings, the food is unloaded onto the servery. Prisoners are unlocked, and everyone comes and gets their meals and, and goes away and, and eats them. I've made it sound like a really simple process, but yes, it is a really complicated process. It relies on lots of moving parts, lots of staff timings you know sometimes even walking from one wing to the other or from the kitchen to a wing in the prison can take 20 minutes you know that food often gets put on the trolley um way before it Mm. actually ends up kind of moving um i always say to catering managers i you know they're kind of great in a sense they're so efficient but they're almost over efficient because that's how things work in prison you're always kind of thinking about um you know what if something happened and you've got to get lunch out basically so Things are kind of sat on the hot trolley for a long time, um, you know, which is you can have the most perfectly cooked piece of pasta, but if it's sat on a steaming hot trolley for half an hour, 45 minutes. Pretty sad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really annoying because the prisoners always say the food always ends up cold. And I'm like, how does it end up cold, you know, when it's sat on there? But then what happens is it gets to the servery and it's taken out. And then everyone has to kind of get unlocked. And again, that could be straightforward or that could not be straightforward. And, and all the while the food's sitting there. So it goes on a process, you know, and, and I, I don't have the answer to that because prisons are prisons. You know, I don't know if 
that will ever change. But often that journey can have a real effect on the kind of end plate, I suppose. I, again, I mentioned this earlier, but the lack of communal dining means that the actual kind of dining experience in prison um, often is sometimes the most kind of difficult part of the whole thing. Um, people get used to just eating on their own or eating with their cellmate in their cell. But yeah, I, again, it goes back to routine and kind of daily habits in prison. And you're in this kind of weird environment that doesn't operate like the normal world. And and that becomes your routine. And I always think, well, when you come out into society, you know, you've lost all that, you know, sitting around and eating, you know, dinner together around the table. And, um, you know, how do you get back from that? And and obviously we know that the benefits of dining together and, and all of that, but that often doesn't happen in prison, really just to do with the fact that getting 100 prisoners around the table, staffing-wise, would be a lot of capacity. And also anything like that can be a kind of trigger for incidents. So it's avoided. But I do believe that done in the right way. And I have seen some prisons that do have some great communal dining um, opportunities. And um, it works really, really well, you know, and, and has a huge impact on emotional well-being. So, yeah, those are the kind of the, the big things, I suppose, bringing it down a level and, and I suppose achievable changes that that can be done, you know, within all of those limitations. And, and they're, they're really what we focus on in, in our work. Um, for me, it's um, it's about catering teams and the people that work in the kitchen and kind of just empowering them and inspiring them to, mm. to do more and to do better. And, you know, not in a patronizing way. We, we work very collaboratively with catering managers on, on recipes and menus. You know, it's never us kind of wagging our finger and saying, you should do it like this and not like that. Um, but often, yeah, they need new ideas. You know, sometimes people have worked there for 20 years and been doing something the same way for that long. Um, and it's about thinking about things differently, you know, new dishes, you know, it is about nutrition, but it's also about exciting, good food that's culturally diverse, um, seasonal, you know, a variety. Um, so all of that is really, really important and, um, and certainly achievable, you know, both within the budget and within the kind of current logistics. Um, so yeah, for me, a, a perfect prison menu really would look, a lot more um, appetizing, inspiring. It would reflect, really, I always say, re reflect how we eat on the outside, you know. Um, it really is as simple as that. I think sometimes it could be overcomplicated and people look at the nutritional value of a dish and, and things like that. And that is important and, and we do kind of promote that, but we mm -hmm. also promote eating in a different way, you know, and how we eat in the real world, you know, it gets to a Friday night and you want comfort food or, you know, you want your fish and chips. And, and actually those things are as important as the healthy meals because they have a huge impact on your mental health and emotional well-being. Um, so it's about getting that, that balance right, I suppose. I'm going to jump ahead on the the little list of questions that I sent you. I'd just like to keep people yeah. on their toes. So I think now would be a good time for you to tell the listeners a little bit about um, maybe your current projects or projects that you've done that you're particularly proud of so that they can get a bit more of an understanding of what it is that you actually do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, absolutely. So so we, we work with a variety of prisons all around the country um, on loads of different projects, really. And we work very, um, I kind of mentioned, in a very bespoke way. 
Um, most of the projects that have come about have come about because we've got to know the prison, whether it's the governor or the catering manager or both staff. And we've kind of just worked out, you know, what are their needs? What, what do they want to do? What, where do they need help? And so some of our work, we focus on um, kind of menu development um, and new recipes. So we're specifically looking at the food that's being served um, on the menus. Um, and I have a fantastic development chef who works for me. And she works really, really closely with the catering manager um, on new dishes and menus. So, for instance, we're doing a project at a prison, prison uh, called HMP Wheelston in Yorkshire at the moment, kind of big men's prison. Um, and we've been there since last summer. And they have a fantastic catering manager who just wanted to do more. You know, he, he really wanted to to offer that kind of vision that I've spoken about. Mm. We've introduced a new option on the menu. Um, it's kind of a food behind bars option. It's a sixth option on the menu. Um, so we have developed, yeah, hundreds of recipes actually um, for that option. Um, and yeah, healthy recipes, I, as I say, culturally diverse stuff. Um, we always kind of consult with the prisoners. So when we introduced our first set of recipes last year, um, you know, we had, we've, we've got a special group in the prison of, of kind of food reps. Um, so prisoners from each wing who um, we will consult with. So we'll do tastings and get them together and get their feedback. You know, what do people want? What do people don't want? Um, and it's really been quite trial and error, actually, because the first lot of recipes we did, we went quite kind of ambitious and um, just because it was kind of our first lot that we were doing. And, and actually, we we realized that, um, you know, we had this amazing Brazilian feijoada and things like that. And I think actually people were looking at some of this stuff and thinking, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and, and then maybe they don't pick the choice, which is not what we want. We want them to pick mm-hmm. it. So um, there's been a lot of kind of, yeah, thinking about um, what we can do in terms of, um, you know, maybe keeping those favorites or those comfort food dishes, but giving our own spin on them, you know, whether that's kind of packing in some more veggies or kind of giving them a little bit of a twist. Um, so that's, that's kind of a specific kind of menu recipe project that we're doing. And I suppose that brings me into the education side of things because, uh, you know, particularly around menu choices, often people in prison have, um, for whatever reason, never really eaten particularly healthy before or they don't have a great relationship with food um they might not even have know what particular ingredients are or you know all of those things and so I I suppose one thing we've learned and I knew this kind of from day one is that you certainly cannot go into a prison kitchen change the menu overnight and expect it to be a huge success because actually it requires a great deal of education and and kind of context mm. and consulting with the people who are actually going to eat it. Um, and that's the next part of the, this particular project at Wilson that we're going to be working on. So, yes, yeah, so we do kind of menu recipe, you know, recipe development and things like that. And then our other projects really are, are a variety across education. Um, one thing that we do a lot of is there's often facilities in prisons that, that we come across that are either underused or not used at all. So a prime example in Wheelston is they had this fantastic bakery within the prison kitchen and um, fully equipped professional bakery. And um, I think once was kind of used on a daily basis and is now not. So we are setting up a prison bakery 
um, in that facility. It's called Rise and Proof. Um, yeah, we've just taken on an amazing baker who's going to be working with a group of guys, um, training them to become bakers, but it's also supporting the daily operations of the kitchen. So we're actually producing stuff that's going to go onto the prison menus. It's going to be available to prisoners whilst also equipping, you know, this group of guys with some, some skills um, and hopefully getting them kind of future employment. And I suppose, yeah, second to that in terms of utilising facilities, um, we're running a big kitchen garden project at another prison called HMP Swimfin Hall. Um, it really just came about because I visited the prison a couple of years ago and they mentioned they had this huge greenhouse that, that wasn't particularly used. Um, and yeah, so we are now in there kind of working again with a group of young men who, who work on the site, uh, growing food that's going to the prison kitchen. Um, yeah, whilst also really teaching people and, and also, I mean, growing food, I think, and being outdoors in prison. Yeah, I've definitely seen this is a hugely beneficial thing in terms of mental health. Um, and we do lots of kind of cooking cooking tra- training and um, people to to cook i suppose um so our development chef delivers a lot of um a lot of courses where we're working with groups of men and women um, and teach them how to cook um and then we have a really exciting project starting um this summer and again it's it's kind of on the the baking and growing vibe but we are um working in a women's prison um in kent and they have a working farm on site. Um, it's a beautiful spot. They actually have their own, they have their own livestock um, on site. So they've got kind of sheep and lots of pigs. And they have a butchery that, again, hasn't particularly been used. So we are coming on board for the next year to run a butchery training course and um, teaching a group of women to become butchers. Um, but we're also going to be producing products. They have a, a farm shop in the prison that is open to the public. Um, so actually everything that we're going to be producing is going to be sold in the farm shop where the women work. So a kind of real broad, I mean, those are just a snapshot really of, of some of the projects that we're doing at the moment. And yeah, real, real broad mix, I suppose, across education and, um, and the food system as a whole, you know, it's not just about cooking and eating. It's about that whole story, I think, and, and the growing and baking and butchery, all come into it um, as well. Sounds fantastic. What are you most proud of? <laughs> Good question. I don't, do you know what? I'm so bad. I never really take that much time to reflect. But <laughs> I think for me, and particularly in the last year, since we've kind of been fully operational and, and on the ground and, and very much based in prisons, for me, it's, it's, it's to do with the prisoners and the feedback that we get across all of our projects, you know, from individuals. And, and sometimes for them, it can be the smallest comment you know that they make and they'll say to you know my colleague you know that was the best food I've ever made or you know thank you or it's inspired me to do this or you know that dish that you served the other day it was the best food I've ever eaten in prison um and all of those kind of I guess our impacts the impact that we're having Mm. and seeing that in a tangible way you know even if it's just someone telling us um that is kind of what I'm I'm most proud of I suppose um yeah, and I think as well, we're, I'm proud of the fact that, you know, we're really kind of the only ones who are not the only ones doing what we're doing. There's plenty of people working around food in prison, but I think particularly the subject of prison foods, um, part of the reason I started it was really to speak up for these people who are kind of voiceless. Um, yeah. And I think prison food has gone under the radar for a very long time. 
Um, and yeah, so I'm very proud of, of that initial kind of decision I made. It wasn't even a decision, you know, I just started talking and, and writing about this subject, but actually, yeah, for me, it's, it's important and no one was doing it. And so I'm very proud of the fact that we do that and, and we raise awareness around it in, in a truthful way. You know, it's not, we, we are being truthful and transparent about, about what really goes on, I suppose. It's definitely an area that I had never thought of. Um, you know, I'm certainly, I'm like you, I, I don't really know anything about, um, prison life and, and food, but certainly having found you on social media and just being so intrigued into what you were doing. And because of the fact that it's a basic human right that everyone should have access to to good quality food. And I believe everything that is on your website and that you've talked about on social media, that, that impact that can actually benefit society and help support individuals. It's just so important. Yeah, totally. And I, and I think you're right. I think most people have never even thought about prison food before. And, and also it's like, why would you, you know, and when you look at public sector catering, I guess, as a subject, you've got hospitals, you've got schools. And for most of us, school food or hospital food has probably kind of touched our lives before, maybe, you know, whether we have children or, you know, we've eaten school food ourselves or we, you know, we know people who who are at school or hospital. We might have been to hospital, might have had family members. So, you know, it's understandable that those other areas, you know, I guess public sector foods, we perhaps think about more. And with prison, it's it's not something we'd ever think of unless we've been in that environment or know someone who has. But um, yeah, and I think that's why I'm proud of of giving it a bit of a voice, I suppose, because I always think, you know, there are these kind of topics that, yeah, that exist under the radar, but actually have a huge impact on society and our everyday lives without us even knowing it. So um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely important. I think it's brilliant. So if listeners want to get involved or if they want to support your work, what should they do? Yes. Well, you can uh, visit our website. So it's foodbuyingbars.co.uk and then our social media. Um, so Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, just at foodbuyingbars. So yeah, we, we kind of always give updates about our work and what we're doing on our social media. And yeah, and, and have a look at our website and what we do. Um, we are a charity, so we do exist solely on kind of, um, you know, funding. Um, so yeah, if you kind of get inspired and you want to make a donation, it really does mean a lot and goes kind of directly to, to all the work I've just discussed, actually. So yeah, really just kind of supporting us and following what we do. Fantastic. And actually, it's worth just um, saying, and I will put this in a link on the show notes, that if you do want to hear more about what Lucy and the team do. Um, Lucy actually has a a podcast, an eight part series, uh, which came out last year and explores that subject of prison food uh, through the people that have experienced it firsthand. And that's a real eye opening listen. So if you just search food behind bars, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you listen to this one, then that should come up and is definitely worth a listen, I oh, think. thank to, you. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, to carry on this conversation, definitely. There were questions that I didn't ask and there were questions that have popped into my head that I, I would have liked to have asked. But um, as I seem to say every single time, we are pretty much out of time. Um, but it's been absolutely fascinating and I think the listeners will really enjoy the fact that you're shining a light on something that mm. as we said we, we just don't think about but is important so Lucy thank you so much thank you yeah thank you thanks for having me and um yeah brilliant to be involved